Welcome to the Females on Fire podcast, where I hope that you'll gain both the tools you need to grow your business and the motivation you need to create your dream life. I'm Haley Luckadoo, motivational speaker, serial entrepreneur, huge lover of Dr. Pepper, and of course, the host who will be introducing you to the phenomenal women sharing their stories and expertise to inspire you, help you succeed, and set your soul on fire. Hi, ladies, and welcome back. Before we dive into a new episode, I want to quickly tell you about my partnership with HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an easy-to-use client management platform where you can manage contracts, invoices, and workflows, track your time, create automated processes, and even create a customized portal for your clients to access. It's got everything, and I've partnered up with them to bring you an incredible offer. Just use the code HaleyLuckadoo or click the link in the description to get 50% off your first year subscription. I love using HoneyBook for my business, but I love to save money even more. So if you need a client management software or have considered making the switch to HoneyBook, now is the time. Again, just use the code HaleyLuckadoo or click the link and save yourself $200 while simplifying your life. I promise you will not regret it. I am so excited about this episode because it's actually going to be part of a set. So I am super into the Enneagram. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's a personality test, but it is an awesome personality test. And it's so much fun to learn about yourself and which type you are. So I thought we would do an episode on the Enneagram. But after I thought about it, I don't know how you can fit all of that into one episode. So we're going to do two, two episodes, pack full of information about the Enneagram, how to find out your type, how it can affect your relationships and your business. And of course, I brought in an expert. So on both of these episodes, which will be back-to-back weeks, I am going to be speaking with Christy Fountain. And Christy is one of the two hosts of the God Bless the Enneagram podcast. And she's been studying the Enneagram for like 10 years. She's an Enneagram coach, and she's always been super fascinated in social and personality-based psychology and even has a degree in it. So she knows everything you could know about the Enneagram, and she is so passionate about it. So I'm so excited to talk with her on these next two episodes. For today's show, we're going to specifically be talking about the different types, what they are, and how you can find out your type. And then in the next episode, we will cover how your type can affect your business and your relationships and how digging into that type a little bit deeper can really benefit you and your business. Hi, Christy. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about the Enneagram today. I am definitely excited. This is one of my favorite things to talk about, and I have been diving into it for a while, but I'm so excited to just have you on the show to share your expertise and get to talk about it with everybody else. Yeah. I'm ready to like 
blow people's minds who haven't heard of the Enneagram or maybe they, they're not really sure what their type is or how to apply it to their personal lives and their relationships and, and their business and just really help them see specifically like what is healthy for them inside of all of those arenas. Yeah, I love it. I'm so excited. I, I've got a big smile on my face. I can't nice. wait. Okay. Do you know your type? I do. I'm a one. Awesome. Yeah, I'm a one wing two. So awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, before we dive in, because I have a couple questions for you and I know you've got tons of information to share, but before we dive into that, will you tell everybody just a little bit about you and especially how you got into working with the Enneagram? Yeah, of course. Um, so I am an Enneagram and psychology-based instructor and coach, and I have 10 years of personal experience studying the Enneagram. So before it blew up about a year ago or sometime in the last year, um, I was, my best friend and I were kind of in our own little Enneagram world saying constantly, I wish everyone knew about the Enneagram. This is like every day I feel like we said this when we talk about the Enneagram. And whenever we'd have conversations in the last 10 years, it was always going back to the Enneagram. So we have a podcast called God Bless the Enneagram that we started um, this past winter because we realized, wow, more people know about it. Our wish is coming true. Like more people are knowing about the Enneagram. And we're just so excited because it's been so extremely helpful. Every conversation always came back to it. Like if we were struggling with our relationships, obviously that's like the big one, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, we'd be like, oh, well, you were taking on some of the unhealthy aspects of your type and being more of a people pleaser and you were depleting yourself. So that would make sense that the healthy way for you to, you know, exist inside of this relationship is to take care of yourself and engage in like radical self-love and really nurturing yourself. And so it always came back to the Enneagram. So we started the podcast last winter um, and I had just completed my bachelor of science in psychology. And in my university, I was this distinguished student for PhD level social and personality psychology research because I have been so incredibly passionate about personality psychology and just understanding why we think, feel, and behave the way we do. I'm obsessed with it. So my obsession reached the ultimate level of just bugging my professors and, and asking them, hey, can, how can I be involved? What can I do? What, what research can I do? What can I help you with? So um, that just kind of fed my passion for the Enneagram. And um, earlier this year, too, I was accredited by Integrative Enneagram to administer the my favorite, the most accurate and reliable Enneagram test that's available anywhere. And I was really excited about that because so many of the free tests and even the the Ready, the R-H-E-T-I that the Enneagram Institute has, um, it really has a lot of like survey flaws in it, just study flaws that are kind of annoying. I mean, it's a helpful tool. If you want a cheap test, I think it's still $12 or something like that. But when I found the IQ nine and that's integrative nine, the number nine.com, um, I immediately reached out and I was like, I'm, I'm attending your net, your next set of courses because, uh, you guys are the absolute best. And this test is amazing. Um, it's been highly researched and, uh, like scientifically researched. So again, that like 
social psychology research background of mine just totally geeked out. So I'm now credited to administer that test. And I'm just, I think the Enneagram, even after 10 years, it should be annoying by now, right? It should be like, oh, the Enneagram, blah. No, every day I use it. Every day I'm looking through the lens of my type and my subtype and my wings and my integration lines. And I'm always um, just reflecting on what's healthy for me in this moment right now. So it's been extremely helpful. I love how passionate you are about it. You said, you know, after 10 years, it should be annoying by now, but I think when you're so passionate about something like that, it never gets old, No, you know? And so I love how passionate you are. I love how much you've really dug deeper and deeper and deeper into this. And I, back in college was always, I never was a psychology major, but I always loved psychology and like took as many of the classes as they would let me make without becoming a major. So the Enneagram, ever since I found out about it, just really fascinated me. And I've always loved, you know, personality tests. And, Mm. and so I took it and then made my husband take it. And at this point, I think we've made our entire family take it. And even the ones who haven't, we like speculate which number they would be. Of course. Of course. So it's been really interesting for us just to dig into it even just a little bit and just scratch the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I do want to ask you, because you mentioned the test and I know our listeners are probably going to love this question because it's really complicated if you have no idea what you're doing and you have no idea where to look to find the right test. And I know a lot of people want to take free ones or they really have no idea where to start. And so they just Google something and take whatever comes up. Mm-hmm. So can you just repeat so that they know that test and where they can take it, the one that you recommend? Sure. So it's not the only thing you can do to find your type. So there's, in my opinion, three ways to kind of go about finding your type. Do you want me to go into that? Yeah, absolutely. Go okay. for it. Okay. So the the first way is to read about in books or on the internet all the different types. And my favorite website is integrative9, the number nine.com for looking up descriptions and just self-observe, see what resonates. And, and if, if, if you feel a little convicted uh, by your type that you feel like you might be, or a lot of the, t- the patterns are um, similar to yours, then kind of wear that lightly I would say like, just kind of try it on, try on that type, just observe yourself from that perspective and see how it's resonating. Um, And then sometimes when you find your type, um, and I don't know if this was your experience, Haley, but um, it may feel a little painful too. It may be like, "Ah, well, I'm not that way. And that's because we have blind spots about ourselves that are really hard to look at. And so sometimes we may not want to be a type. And so it's just all about self-observing, resonating, um, seeing what comes up. And this process may take quite a bit of time. Like I feel like it could take up to a couple of years to really hone in on what your type is if you're struggling to find your type and doing it this way. You know, that's not the case for everyone, but I would say up to about two years. And then the second way is to take tests like you did and free tests or the ready that I mentioned on the Enneagram Institute. And these aren't nearly as reliable or accurate in my um, practice with my clients. The 
ready and the other free tests. So I think there's like nine types and eclectic energies and a handful of others. They have been about 50% or less accurate. So back in the day when I gave people a test before I knew about the IQ nine, about 50% of people eventually said, nope, that wasn't my type. It was actually this other type. And usually there's a relationship between what they mistyped as and their actual dominant personality type with the Enneagram, um, whether that be wings or integration lines, but inaccurate is inaccurate. And I don't like that. So the third way that I would highly suggest is the most accurate and the most reliable is the IEQ nine. And you can take that with a certified Enneagram coach or administrator. So you know, there's a handful of them out there. I'm one of them, but it is so comprehensive too. It's a, if you get the personal test, it's a 20 page report. It's not just, here's one of the few types you could be. It's like, it tells you exactly your dominant type, your center stacking. So what your, your dominant center of intelligence is, and I'll go into that a little bit later. Um, your tri-type, your subtype, your dominant subtype, and a, a variety of things. And then there's also a professional report for all the listeners who are in business or own their own business that is even more helpful if you own a business. And that is the um, professional IEQ9. And that tells you your communication styles and team building skills that you have and all these kind of things that are so helpful. So that's my favorite. I would say take the IEQ9 and get books and look stuff up on the internet. Skip the free tests. They're just kind of for fun. That's crazy. I knew a lot of the free tests were not 100% accurate, but I didn't know they were like so low. Mm -hmm. And I definitely didn't know that the ready was not, you know, super accurate. Mm -hmm. My husband and I, when we first got into it, and this was maybe a little over a year ago, we took the ready um, with the Enneagram Institute. And then we took a bunch of the free ones just to compare if we would get the same response. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we did, and both of us did. And so we just started really digging into like mm -hmm. books and podcasts and researching and all of that. And both of us really identified with the type that yeah. we got from the test. Mm -hmm. And especially me, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that about sometimes it can be almost painful to find out because for me, I've always been super self-aware and, you know, I have no problem hearing not necessarily bad things about me, but you know, just the, the less positive things about myself, because usually it's things I'm already aware of. My husband is the complete opposite. So he's a six and he basically heard all of this stuff about, you know, fear of not being safe and not being secure and all of these things. And he was like, that's not me. That's not me at all. And a few weeks later, even he was just like, yeah, okay, that's me. It's fine. That's me. I'm going to work through it. It's going to be fine. Yeah. But so it's, yeah. it's funny that you said that because that was definitely his reaction and his experience. Mm -hmm. it, it's interesting to me that those aren't as accurate as I thought they were. Cause I know I constantly see people, you know, in Facebook groups and on Instagram, like recommending these free tests. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've just always recommended the ready because I didn't. Yeah. Know. There was anything else. And I did. I had to delete a story from about a year and a half ago or two years ago where I recommended the ready and I was like, delete that. Oh, well. <laughs> um, but I, you know, the Enneagram Institute, um, 
the the head of those of that site. I mean, I absolutely respect their work. I am a big Russ Hudson fan. Um, but the test is pretty old. I mean, it existed 10 years ago when I took it in the exact form that it is today. Right. So, and I've taken it many times and it was accurate. And the second I read my results, the top one was, you know, a four and I was like, yes, a hundred percent. But it, you know, there are certain types that tend to be more self-aware about their shadow or their darker side or their ego um, patterns. And so they are going to type more easily. And then there's other types that are going to have resistance to looking at their shadow and looking at some of those other more uncomfortable features of their personality um, patterns. And so there's some people that will type really quickly and, and resonate with their type. And the rest of us, you know, may, may struggle to, to hone in on like that specific type. And that has a lot to do with, you know, self-awareness is huge when I do typing sessions um, or Enneagram readings, I, you know, require that there's an at least, at least a moderate level of self-awareness. Right. Because if you're not ready to look at the shadow, you know, the, the ego personality patterns, you know, when we're in survival mode, looking at what my thinking, feeling and behaving patterns, behavioral patterns look like when I'm in survival mode. Um, if you're not ready to look at that, you might mistype because it's just, you know, how we behave under stress. That's not fun. I'm nasty under stress. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> if I'm not ready to address Same. that, yeah. And it's interesting too, cause I'm a four and you're a one. And so you and I share a common integration line between us. So mm-hmm. as you know, that's, this is what's fun about the, the Enneagram. So like, you know, that one of the ways that you can adopt healthier thinking, feeling, and behavioral patterns is to look at the healthy aspects of a four. And so this is creative, letting go, experiencing the fullness of life and the beauty of life. And then for me as a four, integrating to the healthier aspects of one, because there's that line there on the Enneagram graph, for me being more concise, detail-oriented, that's a really healthy feature of a four. So that, you know, there's, there's so many applications, so many areas to look at, to integrate your personality and grow. Basically, that's what that means. Just kind of rely on other patterns that it might be healthier for you. Yeah. And it's so funny to me because back when we first took the test, you know, like I said, me and my husband really identified with our numbers just right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And so it never occurred to me that it might be different for anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we started having like family members take it and we were talking, you know, to friends about it. And then my dad took it and we just had him take one of the free ones. And it basically came up saying we couldn't identify a type for you and like, didn't even give him like a top. You might be this one. Um, just flat Mm -hmm. out told him we have no idea. And so we had him take, is it the ready? No, we had him just do the free one. Then we had him do a different free one. And then we had him do the ready and he still, all the numbers were just very low for him and they were all fairly equal. And Mm -hmm. it's really perplexed me because I had no idea that you, you could take the test and not be given like a definite, this is your number. And so that was really eye opening to me. And we're pretty sure like me and my husband speculate, he's a five. Like we mm-hmm. really feel it deep mm-hmm. inside of us that he is a five um, yep. and he's read the five and he feels like he identifies with that a little more than the others, but I could definitely see him being like a few different numbers. And so it's kind of weird that 
there's just some people you just can't really pin down to a specific mm-hmm. number and they, they kind of have trouble, you know, digging in a little more. So I didn't know that when I started looking into it. So I just find that really interesting. And we'll definitely go into, you know, possible mistyping errors, but the reason why the free test and the ready are flawed inherently is because they basically give you a question and they give you two or so possible answers. And one of them relates to one of the nine types and the other one relates to one of the other nine types. And it makes you choose between these two. Well, Haley, what if you took this and you're a one, but the two answers that it gives you that are possible for you to select and only two, you don't resonate with at all because you're a one and they relate to like type three and type nine. Right. You can't select. No, I don't. This, none of this works for me. No, this is not my answer. Right. So, but it makes you select that answer. That's not you at all. And so that's just a big fat testing error and really obnoxious for somebody who's done social, social psychology research. I'm like, no, you guys fix this test. So, um, it's well-meaning and it, and it works some of the time. So what it does is it just tallies up every response by the nine types that were kind of embedded in the answers and how many of those you selected of each of the types, right? So that's why it gives you, that already gives you three top um, possible types for you. Yeah. Well, can you just, so for people who don't know, can you just touch on like really quickly what the nine types are? And as you're going, can you let people know what their wing would be if they are that type? Because I know you can have two possible wings and I know I've seen a lot of people in Facebook groups and all that, that they're like, I'm a seven wing four. And I'm like, that can't be your wing, but okay. So can you just kind of touch on that? Just so everybody's kind of clear on how that works. Yes. Okay. So the Enneagram is a personality assessment in which all human beings tend to fall under one of nine personality types um, or archetypes, if you will, which is basically the way human beings tend to act, think, and feel over time pretty consistently. So we're talking about personality patterns and personality involves the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you behave. And so it's just describing tendencies. So we're not trying to pigeonhole you. My dad, who I believe to be also a type five, um, he's very offended by the Enneagram because he thinks it's pigeonholing people um, but if you knew better, uh, I don't think he'd feel that way because it is very, very unique. I think there's, don't quote me on it, but something like 463 very unique personality styles within the Enneagram when you break everything down. Um, and that's not even including your personal experience as a human being, you know. So it describes also your underlying motivation, nine underlying motivations within these personality types for why we do what we do think and feel. And it's not just a description of behavior. So I'm a big Myers-Briggs fan and there's definitely some really good application for personal development, but the Enneagram is so much better because it tells you why you're doing and feeling and thinking all the things or typically, you know, the tendency to have those personality patterns. And, and so it describes personality as this thing that's fluid, not unchanging. It's, it's kind of like the Enneagram of personality is like, okay, you have your dominant type, 
you have your underlying motivation, you have core fears that are associated with one of these nine types. But then you also, like you were talking about, have um, wings that are the number on either side of your type. So um, if you were looking at the diagram, um, there's one through nine all around a circle. And so a wing is like your own flavor, your own flavor of that type. So let's say you're a type six. You can only have a wing of type seven or type five because that's on either side of your type six number. And so this is like, you, you know, your six is your dominant type and your wings are um, little nuances in your um, behavior, your thought patterns, your feeling patterns, and that look not so much like your dominant type. So your wings are there to rely on to support you. So the goal in the Enneagram, and we'll go into all these types, is to balance. I mean, the goal of the entire Enneagram of personality and using it is to balance your personality so that you're not always relying on the same patterns over and over in situations that you don't necessarily need to use them. You have other, you have access to other ways of existing, right? So we'll go into that a little bit later, but basically the Enneagram helps you grow personally, spiritually in your business, in your relationships, and it gives you healthy things that you can do to change patterns that aren't serving you in every single situation. So it's really empowering to know all of your Enneagram information, basically. I'm glad you specified what that is because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who maybe they've taken the test, maybe they haven't, but they have some sort of just basic knowledge of the Enneagram and that ex it exists, but mm -hmm. they feel like it's just another personality test. And I've even mm -hmm. heard somebody say that they're like, Oh, I'm not really into personality tests. And they kind of leave it at that. And I'm like, no, but if you just took it, you'd understand it's like so much more than just a personality test, you know? And, and for me, just with my personal experience, I've really dug deep into all those qualities and traits and, and, you know, personality aspects of being a one, both the good and the bad. And I, I really think it's helped me become even more self-aware and especially, you know, in my business and in my relationships and the way that I communicate with my husband or my mom or other people. And I, I think it's honestly made me, this sounds kind of cheesy, but it's made me a better person just to, to be more aware of those things because of the Enneagram. So I think there's just so much like speculation on what it is and that it's just another personality test. And, but I feel like when you take it and if you really get serious about finding out what type you are and what result you have and what that means, I think it can change your life, honestly. Yeah. And that's why it is for everyone. You know, anyone can use this. However, a moderate level of self-awareness and willingness to look at everything from a more self-aware position, a more um, objective position is really required. And if there's resistance there from somebody or, you know, they already have kind of like an ego response. I, I say ego and I, I don't think the ego is an evil, bad thing. So just throwing that out there, but basically a protection, like I'm no, no, I, I prefer to continue protecting myself from myself and looking at myself. So, um, if, if you 
don't resonate with the idea of personality tests, you know, that's one thing, be in it for the long haul, you know, but for the Enneagram, it isn't just a personality assessment. It really is a lifelong journey, truly. And I'm not just saying that it sounds so cheesy, but I've been studying it for 10 years and there is not a day that goes by that I truly don't use it in every aspect of my life. Right. I love it. Well, can you dig in, just kind of explain those nine types and what the wings are for everybody? Sure. So there are nine types, which are, you know, typical patterns in existing. It tells you your underlying motivation and so many other things, but today we're just going to cover just some of the traits. Okay. So I'm hesitant to even do this because this is very generic, like very um, generalizing, but I hope it paints a picture as to um, the differences in the types. So I'll go over the description of each type and then just their key motivation, but there are so many other things like strengths and challenges and subtypes that may make you mistype and all the kinds of things, but but hopefully this is helpful. So nine types. Type one is typically called the perfectionist. They value facts, precision, and clarity. They love getting things done correctly. They see that there is a correct way to do things. They're very idealistic. They have a clear sense of right and wrong. Um, They can be self-righteous or judgmental because of those things. And they're all about improvement and right action. And they work really hard to avoid mistakes. And they're really hard on themselves when they do make mistakes. Um, And I would say tend to be also hard on others because of that projection from themselves. It has nothing to do with the other people. It's that they're so hard on themselves that that gets projected outward um, to other people as well. I can attest that that is true. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It has been confirmed. I can imagine you like standing up in the church pews and just being like, yes. Yes, literally. Um, <laughs> That's a hundred percent. So their key motivation is to be good. So this is this underlying motivation that each type has that's different. So the ones really want and strive to be good, strive to improve and perfect things. And so this is a generalization of a type. So if some of these things resonate with you, you may be a one or you may, you may have integration lines that connect to this one, or you've really flexed your one muscle because we have all types within us. And that's the other thing is it's not pigeonholing you. It's, it's showing you what your dominant personality type is. So your dominant pattern. So this is, this is the one. So moving on type two is often called the helper or the giver. And they really focus on meeting others' needs and being helpful and supportive to others. They're warm, giving, people-oriented. I, I kind of think of the, off the record, I, I think of the two as like the popular, really friendly, sweet, beautiful girl at school. Like just always kind of helping everyone and being sweet and kind of showing up for them um, you know, during breakups or times of need, um, or jumping in to help with different projects to help people not feel stressed. So they're really sensitive to being unappreciated. And my, my best friend is a two that's Gina that I have the podcast with God bless Enneagram. And, um, she kind of said it this way, and maybe it resonates with some of the twos who are listening, but basically I don't need to be appreciated I just need to not be unappreciated. (laughs) I like that. 
Yeah. I like, they just don't want to be taken advantage of or feel like what they're doing is for nothing. They over-involve themselves in others' lives and they risk being manipulative um, just to kind of um, make everyone happy. And they tend to also neglect themselves. So um, because they're so focused on other people, the work for them is in um, really tapping into their own needs and self-care. So their key motivation is to be loved, to feel like they're worthy of love, to express their feelings for others and be needed and appreciated. The type three, which is my favorite type right now. So there's no good or bad types at all. There's none like that are worse than the others or better than the others. I don't know if I should tell a type one that, but basically, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Basically, there's like no good or bad type. It's just that we're all good and we're all, we all have challenges. So the type three, I go through like phases where I'm like obsessed with thinking that that type is like, oh my gosh, they're so cool. And And last time it was the eight. And so now I moved on to the three. So the three is the achiever. They are the doers. They're focused on success. They tend to be practical, task-oriented, and they tend to project a polished persona or image. They can be really competitive and make huge sacrifices to achieve their goals. They, and that's because they really want to appear successful and they risk becoming overstretched um, and kind of falling prey to being a workaholic just because they're working so hard to feel like they're successful. And I want to make sure that people know, like I'm successful because that's where my value lies. And that's not the truth. It just feels like the truth. And their key motivation is to be affirmed, to distinguish themselves from others, to have attention, to be admired and to impress other people. That's so interesting because when we took the test originally, I swore up and down that I was going to be a three because Mm -hmm. I, that was the only number that I knew anything about before I took the test because Mm -hmm. I felt like all of my friends were threes Mm because lots of entrepreneur friends and they definitely were achievers. And I was like, that's going to be me. I'm a workaholic and I love to work and I want to be successful and I want everyone to know I'm successful. And I swore I was going to be a three. And then when I took all of those tests and got the one and I read the results and started digging into it, I was like, oh, this is actually more me. That's interesting. But it's funny because I still feel like that like workaholic aspect of the three, the achiever, I feel like I still really identify with that. Mm -hmm. But I know in my heart, I'm a one because the more and more I dig into it, the more accurate it feels. Right. But it's funny because I wanted so badly to be a three and wanted so badly to be an achiever. I don't know why it's just my own personal weird thing, but I wanted it so bad. And it's funny because after I took the test, I was a little disappointed that I got a one, but the more I read it, the more I was like, this is me. But my husband was like, you know, that's so accurate that you would be the person that's like, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be this. And then you're different from all your friends. You're the oddball out in your group of people and Mm -hmm. you're disappointed about it. That's so you. And so, and I felt like, and maybe that was the one in me. I felt like I was somehow like a little bit less than everybody simply because I didn't get the same result. And I, that was something I had to work through. But so I just, I find the, I'm like you, I find the achiever so interesting. That's like my my one that I'm constantly talking about and focusing on. And I think it's because all of my friends are achievers. Oh, wow. That makes a lot of sense, especially in business 
because to be an entrepreneur or to, you know, be comfortable with being kind of in the spotlight and owning your business, you know, you'd take on a lot of those tendencies, you know, and again, we have all the types within us, you know, little pieces of them, but the one and the three can mistype for each other because from, at least in my experience, they look a lot alike on the outside because ones are doers. They typically are doers. And so are threes. Their, their body center is activated. They are, they're, they're, they both are achieving things, you know, with the, with the three, they need to be successful and achieving. And the one is more that underlying motivation is different. You know, the one is wanting to perfect things and make things, you know, up to their standards and, and, you know, reach those ideals and the three, that's not their motivation, but on the outside, it could look like both of them, you know, to other people, they can look really the same. Right. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, I could, I could talk about ones and threes alone all day, so <laughs> I won't hold you up from continuing, but I just had to say that. Cause I'm like, ah, the three. Yeah. The three. I wonder what my next favorite's going to be. Like I just, right? <laughs> yeah. So Enneagram four is often called the individualist or the romantic or the creative. And they, that's my type. And they have a really deep search for meaning. They are all about emotional depth and authenticity. They can be overly sensitive and, and attuned to their environment. So they're picking up on um, the nuances of cues they receive from others' energy. They are typically creative and expressive, but they tend to be emotionally moody <clears throat> and dramatic. And they focus on what's lacking in their lives. So they're kind of negative Nancys. And I can say that because I am one. And um, their challenge is, you know, that negative self-talk. And when they're healthy, they have a good balance of like self-reflection and also positive self-talk and really seeing the light within themselves. So um, again, all types have like this unhealthy to average to healthy kind of range of existing. So these are just general descriptions. Their key motivation is to express themselves and their individuality, to create and surround themselves with beauty, to maintain certain moods and feelings, which are often negative or, again, idealistic. So um, if things don't line up to their ideals, they can feel really down about it. And basically tending to their emotional needs above everything else. The type five is the researcher or often called the observer and they are very private and they have a really active mental life. They are all about observing and exploring how the world works. And they struggle to tap into their emotional world often and, and, and share their thoughts and feelings. So they may seem socially awkward or disinterested, um, withdrawn, and they can aggressively defend their isolation. So you know, when they're healthy, they can tap into their emotions and they can connect socially to other people. Um, but a challenge for them is, is, is doing that um, just because their mental life is so active and they're really imaginative and they tend to be attracted to the odd things in life, just the really interesting, strange things, you know, and they can be intellectual pioneers. And their key motivation is to possess knowledge, to understand their environment, to have everything figured out, to defend themselves from threats from the environment, but also figure everything out so that they, 
themselves know that they're competent and they can prove that to other people. Like I am competent. I understand things. So that's what everything they're thinking, feeling, and doing tends to be motivated by. So the type six is the loyalist or otherwise known as the skeptical loyalist. And they are great planners. They tune into potential risks and danger, and they always have a plan B. They value trust, responsibility, and loyalty from others and tend to act and um, be reactive based on their sense of anxiety. And they tend to think in skeptical ways. And that's because they're trying to defend themselves so that they can be safe and secure. And their key motivation is to have security, to feel supported by others, to have reassurance and fight against their anxiety and insecurity. So if you resonate with those things, then you may be a type six. And the type seven is the enthusiast. And they seek variety, stimulation, fun, and they tackle challenges with optimism. So they're kind of the antithesis of the four. And they engage with life in a very future-oriented way, whereas the four um, kind of reflects on the past and is kind of stuck in the past. They're kind of stuck in the future, like, what's next? Where am I going next? And they bring a lot of creativity and energy into their projects and then their teams, but they may be distracted, um, insensitive, or irresponsible just because of their focus on the future and kind of where they're going next. But they're very um, positive-oriented people. And their key motivation is to maintain their freedom and happiness, to avoid missing out on experiences, to keep themselves excited and occupied, and to dis charge their pain. So their underlying motivation for being positive and optimistic and kind of future oriented, that would seem like a generally healthy thing, except for all of that is motivated by their, their desire to avoid pain. So on the outside, the, some of these types sound like, oh, well, that's the best one. That sounds great. Like optimistic, fun, um, you know, all of those things. But the underlying motivation can be really destructive because if you're not facing your shadow or able to process past experiences, then that can catch up with you really quickly, physically, mentally, emotionally. So the type eight is the challenger and they are forces of nature. If you know any type eights, they have a really strong presence and a really strong personality. They tend to value being in control. They also tend to be guarded, but caring and protective of those around them. Um, they also tend to mask their vulnerability with a really tough exterior to protect themselves. And on the outside, that may look as though they're very intimidating and confrontational. And this type, they are often leaders because they're really good at managing people, otherwise known as controlling people, right? <laughs> so their key motivation is to be self-reliant, to prove their strength and resist weakness, to dominate their environment and stay in control of their situation. Again, you know, there's no good or bad type, but the, on the paper, the eight, you know, is kind of the opposite of the seven. And so in many ways, 
and you can kind of be like, oh, well, this one's good and this one's bad because this person on the outside looks fun and this person looks very confrontational. But the underlying motivations for those caused challenges in both of those personality types. And lastly, we have the type nine, the peacemaker. And they're very diplomatic, attuned into the ideas of others. Um, they tend to neglect themselves like twos. They're, they're very much externally focused. They are facilitators and mediators in groups very often because they're just so accommodating of people. They have a very grounding and stable demeanor and struggle to connect to their own point of view or say no just to avoid all conflict. So they really struggle to define their sense of self and identity. And so on the outside, it looks like, oh, this person is so lovely and, you know, like on paper, this doesn't sound so bad. But their key motivation is to resist whatever would upset or disturb them and to create harmony in their environment and avoid conflicts of tension. But we might imagine how problematic that would be if you were always in that state, right? So each of these types, these are their patterns. And while some of these things are just fine, existing like this all the time can be problematic. Right. I love that you keep mentioning like, they're all good. They're all bad. They all have those qualities because mm -hmm. I actually, we have a family member who took it and got their result and was so unhappy with it. And I mean, like just brutally unhappy with it and, wow. and was yeah. just really upset because swore up and down, they weren't that way, but it was almost a little bit part of the, that particular type to sort of act that way about it. And so it was just interesting to, you know, to see that. And we were trying to explain like, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And they just did not believe us. But, um, I, so I, I love that you keep reminding everybody, like, you know, some of these may look better than others. Some of them may look, you know, a little more confident or a little harsher or a little more confrontational or whatever, but they all have their they're good and bad qualities. And so I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier that it's not, you know, it's not railroading you into being a particular type and it's not putting you in a box. You really do have qualities of all nine types. Cause I've read numerous things about all nine types and I can find something in each of the nine that I identify with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I was saying with the achiever, I definitely ident identify with being a workaholic and with the four, I am super creative. And, and so there's a lot of different aspects to each type. And I think that's the part we tend to forget. You know, it's, we, I think people get caught up in taking a test and getting a result and that's supposed to be your result and you can't be anything else, but it's not like those little Facebook tests where it's like, you know, what age will you get married? Like right. it's, it's not those type of tests. It's very yeah. Um, intricate, very unique, and very, you know, not always necessarily just black and white, one thing or the other. There's a lot of kind of gray area with some of these. So I think that's just, you know, a nice reminder to give everybody. Right. And imagine if I were to also spend the next like five hours talking about possible wing strengths and how that influences each of these dominant types and dominant subtypes or otherwise known as instincts or instinctual subtypes. Or your, you know, what centers, what intellectual centers are activated, and 
and go and be really specific about all the possibilities. Like that would take not five hours, probably like five straight days of explaining. (laughs) So this is just a dominant personality type. Right. What's showing up the most. And that's based on nature and nurture in your upbringing. So you were born with specific tendencies um, or sensitivities, I should say. And however your caregivers responded to those created, you know, an ego protection, like a, you know, whatever you were sensitive to, like um, your, when your ego formed and, and in personality psychology that forms between five and seven years old. So by then, by seven years old, you're roughly who you are today, like, right, like personality wise, patterns wise, seven years old, that's it. So however your upbringing was up until that point and whatever you were sensitive to, whatever cues that you kind of tuned into or whichever parent or caregiver you kind of tended to focus on, those things interacted with your sensitivities and created these underlying motivations and values and vices and patterns in the way you act and feel. So, oh, yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think this is probably a good kind of stopping point and we'll continue this in the next episode where we'll okay. kind of dig more into how you can apply it to your business and those communication styles and all of that. But because I think I could ask you a thousand questions. So <laughs> if we start digging into all the wings and tri-types and all of those things that I will probably never let you leave. So, <laughs> so I think this is a good stopping point, but I think this gave everybody a really good general idea of just sort of the baseline of what it is, what the types are, you know, you kind of broke down a couple of those terms like wings and everything. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a good starting point. And I, I love that we mentioned all of that about the tests because I feel like finding the right test is probably the biggest issue with people when mm-hmm. it comes to the Enneagram. So I love that you gave them a great reference point to go and take the right test and get the right results. <laughs> Um, so I think this is going to be super helpful to everybody listening. So I just want to say thank you so much because yeah. I definitely appreciate all of your advice. My pleasure. Anytime. Well, ladies, that's it for this time. But don't forget to head over to the show notes to grab special bonus content from our guests. I'd love if you could show your support for the show. So if you have just a minute, leave a five-star review about how much you love this podcast. Then head over to femalesonfirepodcast.com and grab your Females on Fire apparel. Get a t-shirt, hat, and more because it all goes to fund the podcast. And don't forget to show off your new swag to all your friends on social media and tag me at Females on Fire and at Haley Luckadoo. I'll be back next week with another great show for you. But until then, keep reaching for those dreams that set your soul on fire.